have you ever noticed how we just have this general expectation, and for that matter, general desire uh, for good things to just keep getting good and good things to grow? Uh, if you're in the world of business, you want uh, profits to move up and to the right. You want to see growth there. Uh, babies grow from little bundles of joy to bigger handfuls of joy. My mother used to tell me all the time, I'm a handful. I assume she meant joy. Uh, gardeners plant plants and farmers plant crops, uh, and they expect them to grow. Political candidates for office want their volunteer and donor bases to grow. When we recognize something as good, we tend to want it to grow. So our text this morning is found in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 1 through 9. Let me encourage you to turn there or launch your Bibles there. And you'll notice this whole idea of something growing uh, emerges from this text. So let me just provide just a little bit of backstory before we uh, dive in. 1 Corinthians is written by St. Paul who wrote over half of the New Testament. And St. Paul was the first great missionary and theologian of the church, and he would often write these letters. That's why they're called letters or epistles. And he would often write these letters to churches he started or churches that a colleague of his would start. And he would write them to celebrate them, to thank them for something they were doing, uh, to encourage them, uh, or to challenge them. The church at Corinth was a church that he wrote to challenge. Now, how do I say this technically? Uh, the church at Corinth was a hot mess. I mean, they were just, uh, there was just a hot mess. No other way to say it. They had disputes. Uh, they had factions. They quarreled with one another. They were suing one another. They had morality issues. It's almost like uh, the church at Corinth was just in a collective Dr. Phil session, and not this Dr. Phil, the one on TV. And then in the text before ours, Paul gets this idea of spiritual wisdom, which leads to spiritual growth. And he makes a contrast between what's called the, 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 the Christian and, and the non-Christian, or the spiritual man and the natural man. And then chapter 2 wraps up with Paul reminding Christians that the main difference between Christians and non-Christians is that Christians have the mind of Christ. And then the letter takes a little bit of a turn, which is where we're going to dive in this morning. First, first Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, he writes this. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? I mean, what after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. This is the word of God uh, for the people of God. Let me invite you to take out uh, your insert. If you find taking notes helpful, you might have opportunities to take 
quite a few more notes than normal this year. And what I want us to explore together this morning is the promise that if we allow God to have his way, that he will work in our lives to grow us for his glory and for our good. And when God grows his people, by the way, uh, it's not some isolated spiritual exercise. A lot of times we we may tend to categorize the the things of of God or the spiritual things over in one category and say, I want to grow strong in that area. But when God grows us strong spiritually, it impacts every other area of our lives. It touches every aspect of who you are. Okay, with that in mind, uh, let's pray and then we'll dive in. God, we just ask that you would, Lord, help us to sense and feel your wisdom and your presence this morning. Clear away anything that would keep us from hearing from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's begin with the end in mind and just put what may seem obvious into the conversation, and that is simply this. God wants to grow you spiritually. Now, the, the, the order that's is, is intentional. It's not that, that God wants you to grow spiritually. That's in, yes, but God wants to grow you. So God, Paul says, is the grower and God wants to grow you spiritually. In this passage, Paul uses images of infants versus adults or he uses agricultural images of watering and planting. And the idea here is that growth and maturation should be happening in the life of the Christian and in the life of the congregation. Now, a few weeks ago, I pulled the whiteboard out here and I I showed you this uh, spiritual journey uh, sort of uh, graph, if you will. And just take another look at it again. So we have this idea that we're all born on a certain day, that all of us, we share that. And the question marks represent those deep questions that we start to ask in our journey. Who is God? Who am I? Eventually, we start asking, who is Jesus? Or we hear about the gospel of Jesus. And as Christians, at some point, we come to the cross of Jesus and we say yes to him. Yes, I believe that Jesus came to rescue me from my sins. I believe he wants to be the Lord, the leader of my life. And when we say yes to Jesus, it is then that we start this journey of growth. And that last word there is Latin for imago Dei, which simply means the image of God. And that what God is trying to do in your life, what God seeks to do in your life from the moment you say yes to the lordship of Jesus is God wants to grow you into the image and nature of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says we have the mind of Christ. Is that God is working in us to grow us. And so a good question for us to ask this morning is how does God grow us? Well, let me just throw out a a few ways. They're not exhaustive. But one way is through study, and that God grows us through the study of his word. This is what it means to have the the mind of Christ, uh, guided by the Holy Spirit as we read Holy Scripture. God grows us to be more and more like Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes to his protege, he says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So we see that God grows us through, through Bible study. That may be one thing you need to consider this year if you want to grow stronger. The second way is God grows us through service. Now, service often God uses to grow our heart for the things of God. So we not only grow through study, we grow in the knowledge of God, 
But we also want our hearts to be growing toward God because that enables us to put into practice the knowledge or gives us the motivation to. And God uses all kinds of experiences from, from, from global type of mission trips to local service in the church, from individual um, opportunities to share your faith to, to group opportunities to be on mission for Christ. The Lord grows us when we make ourselves available for service and our hearts begin to soften. I, I've used this analogy before, but uh, let's just let's just take uh, better stay over here, shouldn't I? Um, let's let's just take a moment and, to, and consider this analogy. If everybody, if you will, we've done this before, but let's do it again. Everybody, take a deep breath and don't let it out. Okay, you can let it out now. I'm not going to make you hold your breath the rest of the time. In the same way, we can't just take in the things of God, right? We also have to exhale. We have to breathe out. And breathing out, exhaling the things of God often look like service to God. Now, let me just drill down on this one just for a moment. How do you know how or where you should serve in order to grow? Because I think if we were all really truthful, there might have been times we have volunteered in the life of the church or volunteered in some other way, and we come out of that saying, you know what, I, I, I think I grew farther away from God after that experience, not toward God. And so sometimes it's important how we serve and where we serve and that God has a place for us. This guy named uh, Brian Wilkerson has this great uh, way for us to remember this with an acronym. The, the first thing to consider is your heart. It's your heart. What are you passionate about? What breaks your heart? What keeps you up at night thinking about how to make a difference? It could be helping others in need. It could be helping to strengthen children and families. It could be uh, praying for others on a, a regular basis. But what just grabs your heart? What, what are your passions? An another uh, is experience. What are some of your experiences? What have you done that brings you lift and joy in life? Or what are some of the experiences that were difficult in your life? You know, God will use our hard times and God will use the good times if we lift those up to him, the hard experiences and the good experiences. I have a friend of mine in my previous church who was widowed at a fairly young age. His, his wife died early. And so after a bit of time, my friend started a ministry called Grief Share because he had just this heart's desire to help people journey through that time and that difficult struggle with grief. See, God used this experience to bless others. Then there's the idea of anointing. And what I simply mean here is your spiritual gifts. God gives each Christian gifts to help build up the ministry and mission of the church. Some have teaching gifts, others have organizational gifts, others have gifts of serving behind the scenes, gift of mercy, gift of generosity, but God has given each one of us gifts to serve the body. So we need to consider what these are. Then there's relationship. In other words, your personality. How are you wired? Do you like to work primarily alone or on a team? Are you a leader? Or are you a follower? Uh, if you're wired to get to know a lot of people, maybe something like greeting is really good for you. If you're wired just to get to know a few people deeper, maybe mentoring others is good for you. And then there's the idea of our talents. The natural skills and education and hobbies and interest. Some of you may have, have IT skills that the Lord will use 
if you have them, please let us know about this, right? We don't want me working on IT things. All I know how to use is a hammer, and that doesn't work with computers. Computers don't like hammers. Others have musical gifts. Others may be terrific number crunchers. The Lord uses it all. Here's the main idea, is that when you discover your heart for service, God will grow you exponentially in that service for him. And if you want help trying to discover your heart for service, uh, please reach out. I would love to help you do this. So God grows us through study. God grows us through service. God also grows us through synergy. Uh, This is interactions and work with other Christians. We need each other to grow. Later in the letter, Paul uses the image of the body to describe the church. What we are different parts, but one body. He says the eye can't say the hand, I don't need you. In the same way the head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. I have a friend of mine who has uh, the gift of, of, of faith. Now, all Christians have faith, but the gift of faith, the supernatural gift of faith, is the ability to believe God for big things and persevere and, and journey through having that, uh, see that come to fruition. Well, on this team, my friend had the gift of faith, but he couldn't organize his way out of a paper bag. And so he would, he would say, you know, I believe God is calling us to do X, but he wouldn't know how in the world it should get done. And there was another person on the team that had these incredible organizational, administrative, and leadership gifts. But this person didn't necessarily like to risk to do big things. Put them together, and oh my goodness, they accomplished great things for God, and they both grew stronger in their faith. See, that's how God works in his church. That's how he works in the body. So we need, we grow through each other and and participating in ministry with each other. We also grow through struggles. James, the little brother of Jesus, says this. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. We see growth through struggle all throughout the Bible. Abraham grew through the struggle of waiting for his promised son. Joseph grew through the struggle of being sold into slavery by his brother. Moses was on the far side of the desert when God called him to an amazing adventure, but there was struggle all along the way. Nehemiah grew through the struggle of the opposition, those who opposed him in rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. Peter grew through the struggle of a faltering and shaky faith. Paul grew through the trials of being imprisoned and beaten for the sake of the gospel. God grows us through struggle. Uh, I have a saying that I I like to offer uh, from time to time around here is you have to lift heavy weight in order to grow bigger muscles, right? You You don't get stronger without lifting heavier weight. And often by God's grace, as God enables us to to lift and to work through our struggles, God is strengthening us and growing us at the same time. So we grow through study. We grow through service. We grow through synergy with other Christians. We grow through struggle. There's one more, and that is we grow through suffering. There are times in our lives when we face the intense pain 
and heartache of suffering. Suffering is a, a bit different than struggling and trials because suffering is to experience a sense of anguish and affliction. Often when we suffer, we don't even have the wherewithal, the energy to struggle. The most gripping image of suffering is our Lord on the cross. That as he suffered on the cross, he was even unable to struggle at times. He just endured it. He just suffered through it. Suffering is chronic pain that cannot be relieved. It's a diagnosis that we know won't be cured. It's the bout with depression that lingers day after day after day. It's the anxiety that cannot seem to be settled. It's the grief that aches beyond measure. Here's the promise. God grows us in the depths of our suffering. We may not feel like we are growing, but in that, that dark, deep soil of suffering, God will grow us. And we may even wonder where God is in the midst of suffering, but we can know and trust in faith that God is with us and that God is working. And the Bible promises us as we suffer that indeed we're growing in character and we're growing in perseverance. So I think this naturally just brings up a question. If there are all these incredible opportunities to grow, like God is just showering us with opportunities to grow through study and through service and synergy and struggling and suffering, then why aren't we always growing? I mean, that's the question. If God uses all these different things to make us grow, then why aren't we always growing? Why was there this massive problem in the Corinthian church? And for that matter, a little closer to home, why are there sometimes struggles in our own personal journey that keeps us from growing? Well, back to our text. The big bad barrier of spiritual growth Paul gets into here. He draws a distinction between two types of Christians. A Christian that is living by the Spirit is growing. And to live by the Spirit is simply another way to say to allow God to have control over your life. And when God is in control, you will grow. No matter your stage or age of life, for those of you who uh, may be seniors, you never, have the you never stop growing. As long as God is in control of your life, God will continue to grow you when God is having his way in you. However, Paul says there's another type of Christian. Now, depending on your translation, this type of Christian is either called worldly, living by the flesh, or carnal. And Paul lifts up this third type of person. This type of Christian is not in a growth mode. And they are not living a life that is pleasing to God. And they live in such a way that they frustrate or they grieve the spirit of God. One of my ministry mentors is a master gardener. And he's since moved on to a retirement community and doesn't have the opportunity to, to garden as much. But when he, when he lived in the house and had a yard, oh my goodness, to see his garden come up every spring was just a beautiful thing to see and to be able to drive by. It was so fun to see all the color. And he said one of the first things a gardener has to do is to remove the barriers to growth. 
Now, there are other things they need to do. But the first thing they have to do is say, okay, where are the barriers to growth? Seeds on their own are intended to grow, but a good gardener knows that you've got to remove barriers to that growth. So you may see where this is going. What is your big bad barrier to spiritual growth? It's you. <laughs> it's me for me, but it's you for you. Sometimes a picture helps. We've covered three types of people in total. Put the first graph up there if you don't mind, Alan. So you see here, this is an image uh, that a group named Crew developed for uh, college students, but I think it's helpful for all of us. So the picture on uh, your right, my left, is, is what's called the natural man or natural woman. And so the chair is the throne, and self is on the throne, and Christ is completely outside of uh, the life there. On my right, your left, is the spiritual man or spiritual woman. And that's where Christ, the cross, is completely on the throne and self is, is submitted to the cross. Everybody see that? Have I got all the right and left right? No, okay. Well, you just follow, follow my words. Just follow my words. Everybody get where I'm going? Okay, good. Okay, put the next graph up. Okay, so this, we have no right and left on this one. So you can. This is the person who is, is the Christian that's called worldly or living by the flesh or carnal. Christ is in this person's life, but self is leading and self is on the throne. So you see the difference there? So the person who's not yet a Christian, Christ is completely outside and self is on the throne. The person who's spirit directed, Christ is on the throne and self is submitted but the carnal Christian, the Christian living by the flesh, has self on the throne, but Christ hanging around and Christ in the life. Now, let me get three ideas out on the table because this is really one of the main points of this whole text. Let's get three ideas out on the table about this idea of a fleshly or worldly or carnal Christian. The first is this. Carnal Christianity is not a permanent state. So some may see that graph and say, you know what, I'm kind of cool with that, you know? As long as I have enough Jesus in my life to get me into heaven, even if I get into heaven, you know, with, with, with the smoke coming out and everything, but I, I'm okay if I get in heaven. So if I get heaven when I die, and then I can live like the world while I'm alive, that's not how this works, right? So once Christ has your life, it means a couple things. It means, first of all, how the Lord reigns in heaven is what you want to see reigning on earth. And so this whole idea of what you want to see on earth is completely different. It's sort of a, this person who, who thinks they want to live in a permanent carnal state is sort of like have your cake and eat it too. But it's important. And if someone is in this state, and they're in this state for a really long time, it's really important for this person to go back and say, okay, let me go back. Let me see if my relationship with Jesus is authentic. Let me see if I really did ever put Christ on the throne of my life. Now, this does not mean that Christ-directed Christians don't struggle with sin, it does not mean that Christ-directed Christians don't even struggle with sin over a long season. 
But the key is when there is sin for a, a Christ-directed Christian, there's this idea of struggle. There's this idea of the Holy Spirit working and seeking to bring somebody up to another place. The reality is Christians can at times seem to toggle back and forth between a Spirit-directed or Christ-directed life and a self-directed life. Let me give you an analogy about my life, which is the one I'm expert in, I guess. Last April, I went to a Nationals game, and I went uh, to the game with someone from church here. And it was the first time that the former National, Bryce Harper, was coming to Washington to play at Nationals Park. Now, all week, all of sports talk radio was talking, will the fans boo Bryce? Will the fans treat him poorly? And I made up my mind in advance, yes, this fan will. And so when he stepped up to the plate, it surprised the whole sporting world. I mean, Nationals Park, which is usually very congenial, just showered that man with booze. I mean, just showered him. And I was right there with him. I was boo, 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 boo for a really long time. And I might have for every time he came to bat that day. Now, I feel terrible about that for a number of reasons. One is that's just not good sportsmanship. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm usually about, you know, things that, for what I'm for, not what I'm against. And the same in sports. I cheer for my team, but I don't boo other teams. That's just not who I am. And it certainly was field-directed behavior. And it wasn't Christ-directed behavior. I mean, I planned all week to boo this guy. So it wasn't like it came over me. It, well, I'm serious. I, I immediately said, I'm going to let him have it. Third, I learned a powerful lesson as a pastor. If you're planning to act like a jerk, don't take somebody from the church with you. <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> There's good news. I toggled back and forth and I cheered. I cheered when Max Scherzer struck Bryce Harper out, but I cheered. <laughs> The reality is sometimes we toggle back and forth between flesh guiding and spirit guiding. And our holy desire is to lift all of our lives up to the spirit and to be spirit controlled. The second thing about uh, self-directed Christians is they hinder the power of the spirit in their life. In Galatians, Paul draws a contrast between life lived by the spirit and life lived by the flesh. He says the result of a spirit-directed life and just... Just soak this in on how it impacts every area of life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, and by the way, whenever you hear about the fruit of the Spirit, it, you can't separate them. Like some, some, I've heard some folks say, you know, I have the fruit of patience, but I don't have any of the other fruit. No, it's not, it doesn't work that way. It's that when the Spirit is reigning, all these things are coming out of your life. And in the same passage, Paul says, but the result of a self-directed life is sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, which is the dark side of spirituality, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. 
you know, I've always wondered, like, and the like is like, etc. Like, what did Paul think he left out there? I mean, it's everything. But you see, do you see how this impacts every area of life? Not just, quote, unquote, the church life. But when the spirit is reigning fully and completely, it just gives lift to every area of your life. Self-directed living creates struggle. Christ-directed living liberates us from the power of destructive behaviors and attitudes and leads us into habits and attitudes that enable us to flourish and, and, and gives us this sense of lift and growth in every area. Lastly, self-directed Christians create all sorts of struggle in the church. So that's what Paul is getting at here. That if a church is full of, of Christians who are self-directed, the church is not going to work well at all. The church was then, and as it is today, first and foremost, spiritual in nature. The head of the church is Jesus. Our agenda in the world is spiritual. We seek to do the work of Jesus, Jesus, which is often seen in very physical ways of healing the sick and feeding the poor and standing up for the vulnerable in the name of Jesus, not our name. Our agenda is spiritual and our power is spiritual. Self-directed Christians hinder the power of the Spirit in the life of the church. In Corinth, they were arguing with each other. They were divisive. Some were breaking off into factions and, and following Apollos, and some were breaking off and following Paul. And Paul said, you know, we're not anything. Now, he did not mean their contributions, contributions weren't valuable, but he was saying compared to what God does to make growth happen, then mere human servants are just simply mere human, right? God's role is considerably more. Just ask a farmer God's role in making things grow versus what that farmer does to make things grow. The work of God suffers when Christians are self-oriented and self-directed in the church. So what do we do with this? How do we seek to constantly be in that place where God's grace is thriving and where we're growing stronger through study and service and synergy and struggle and suffering. One more S word, surrender. Surrender. Back to that graph there in the Christ-directed life. Oh my goodness. That for Christ to be reigning on the throne, so we ask Christ into our life, we give him control of our life for that first time when we come to salvation, but surrender is something we have an opportunity to do daily because our journey is about sometimes wanting to constantly take back that lordship and to take back that leadership. And so each day we have to say, God, I surrender myself to you. I surrender myself to you. And when that happens, when we surrender the throne of our life to him daily is we take on, back to where Paul started, we take on the mind of Christ. We begin to speak like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to act like Jesus. And what we find is that we begin to be able to live a more consistent Christian life that is, as we explored last week, that looks like salt of the earth and light of the world. So I hope you'll consider deeply this challenge this morning from God's word to consider your spiritual growth. I hope you'll hear the good news also 
that God wants to grow you. That God wants to grow you right where you are. He wants to meet your needs. He wants to heal your hurts. And he wants to give you all you need to grow stronger in him. So that you may live a more joyful, thriving, consistent faith in him and the way you live toward others. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we pray this morning for the grace to grow. And Lord, we know that through our own lives and through our own journey and our own struggles, that growth is not just automatic, that you have also given us the free will to take back that place on the throne at times, God. And so God, I pray that you would help us to go to that place of surrendering, not just once and for all to make you Lord, but surrendering daily to your spirit, to surrendering ourself, our desires, our power, to surrendering it to you, to your desire, to your power in our lives. And Lord, help us in trusting faith to believe that when you are reigning and that when you are control, Lord, that it is so good for us, that it gives us strength, Lord, in, in your ways. It gives us lift and strength and grace in our families. It gives us all that we need to do our work in such a way that honors you. It gives, gives us all we need to live, Lord, the way you want us to live in the world around us. So God, thank you for the promise that you will grow us. You'll strengthen us no matter what age or no matter what stage of life we are in. We lift our lives up to you, God, and surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.